0: Hello listeners, I'm your host, I'm Ruta Nurgunkar, and I hope that you're all safe. It's 2021, and the world is still in trouble. I'm sending you all hugs. I'm here today to share with you a little bonus content as you wait, desperately no doubt, for Season 3 of Heckin' Concern to start. A few months ago, I met Jade Harding a filmmaker who was making a short documentary for ABC. For those outside Australia, that's our national public broadcaster, our equivalent of the BBC. This film was about people who were worried about having or raising children in the face of climate change. Jade asked if I would like to be in the doco and talk about my feelings on this issue. I was nervous, but I did it. It's a fantastic film because it covers a lot of complex and nuanced feelings on reproduction, which, let's face it, is any organism's most essential function after survival, in a really sensitive way. The film is called Inconceivable. If you're in Australia, you can watch it now on ABC iView. For those who can't access ABC iView, the film may be uploaded to Vimeo or YouTube later. I'll keep you posted if that happens. After the film was released, a friend and fellow podcaster, Mark Spencer, who hosts and produces the Climactic podcast, invited me and Jade, the director of the film, on his show to chat about the film and what we learned from it. Coming up next, you're going to hear this episode of Climactic, on which I'm a guest. I hope you'll enjoy both the film and the podcast. If you are interested in stories, discussions and creative expression around climate change and sustainable living, check out the other brilliant shows on the Climactic Collective, a podcast network dedicated to climate change, of which Mark's podcast Climactic is also a part. Visit climactic.fm to find out more. That's C-L-I-M-A-C-T-I-C dot F-M. In this episode, Mark also shares some information about a fundraiser for COVID relief in India. Do check it out if it sounds like something you might want to contribute to. My part of this podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation.
1: This is a message on Climactic's Community Corner. Free space we give to
2: the community to share their message. Find out how you can share your own from climactic.com.au, clicking on Community Corner in the top banner. Hi, my name is Dr. Mari Puanin. I'm a scientist in Australia. Do you know a kid aged 4 through 14? Or are you a teacher? Or do you know a parent of such a kid? They'll want to hear all about our international drawing contest called Kids Care About Climate Change. They draw what they love most about trees because trees can help cool the earth and save penguins and coral reefs and people. They draw that and we plant a tree for them. Then we print a giant banner of all the drawings from the contest and film it in forests all around the globe. And hopefully take it to the next United Nations meeting in Glasgow in November. The aim is to empower kids to have a voice in what happens to the earth and their future. You can enter the contest now until the 30th of June. Just go to kidscareaboutclimate.org. Thank you.
3: Today's episode is with Jade Harding. Director of Inconceivable, a film about the decisions individuals and couples are making about whether or not to have children in the face of the climate crisis. If this topic brings up any feelings of anxiety and you need to speak to someone, please don't hesitate to reach out to friends, ourselves at hello at climactic.fm, Lifeline Australia at 131114, or Lifeline Aotearoa on 800
2: The will to act is itself a renewable resource.
3: This is a conversation about complex feelings, parallel and contradictory survival instincts, and convictions and decisions that, due to our innate humanity and biology, are prone to reversals, as the heart and the head are locked in an impossible struggle. Today, Mark, that's me, publisher of the Climactic Collective, and Amruta Nargunkar, host of Heckin Concerned, are talking to filmmaker Jade Harding about her film Inconceivable, which recently ran on ABC's, that's the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, documentary program Compass, which for over 30 years has explored the intersections of faith, values, ethics, and religion from across the globe. This topic is one very close to home. The subjects of this documentary are largely previous guests of Climactic, people like clinical psychologist Christine Canty, XR activists Mark and Violet, or even my guest co-host for this episode, Amruta. But there's also a young couple named Cam and Sarah who I haven't met before. So rather than this episode being about the birth strike movement stemming from the UK, The history and impacts in the macro-level population discussion. This is a much smaller, but quite possibly more powerful, conversation about what Jade learned through the making of this film. We'll be talking about the difficult discussions around this topic, how to bring it up with friends and family. And if you stick around to the end, you'll hear some discussion around what parenthood means for the 21st century.
1: we're in that process of having the kind of big yes to I, I love you and I want to have another kid, but if I bring in climate change, it then
3: makes it all up.
0: My motherly instinct kicked in straight away, and I was like, the best way to protect them is to just not, not even bring them into the world. When I first started questioning whether I wanted to have children, it was scary, and it made my family uncomfortable. Oh!
2: I knew what I knew now I think I would have made some different decisions I think I probably would still have children
3: but yeah I don't think I would have had four so Jade what do you do like what's your like title for yourself
1: that is a really interesting question as a freelancer who does lots of different things I (laughs) uh, I find hmm I guess I would call myself a filmmaker like that sort of tries and encapsulates sort of the different things. But then I also teach filmmaking. So I run workshops and facilitate workshops. I'm a facilitator and a filmmaker.
3: We're here kind of using this episode of ABC Compass as kind of the jumping off point into a broader conversation about you and about the climate crisis and climate grief and Maybe a bit of the birth strike movement or maybe birth strike as restricted down to just these five stories, maybe not talking about the whole movement and history of it and all that. As a filmmaker, then, how do you kind of talk about this piece of work? Is it an episode of ABC Compass or is it a film that was commissioned by the ABC that has run on ABC Compass?
1: It's definitely a film that sits outside of ABC. The The initial project that I made was actually part of a, a graduate piece for my master's. It's sort of a shorter film that existed first, and that was sort of where I started the conversation with ABC, so they were quite interested in in the topic and like that initial piece that I'd made, and so then they sort of wanted me to make a longer version for, for Compass. I sort of see it as a film, but also I've made this particularly with the TV audience in mind,
3: so... How big was that initial piece that you'd already made as like a you know student film, self-funded?
1: It was 15 minutes.
3: Was there like a formal pitching process you kind of went through to be like, hey, ABC, here's what I've done. I'd like to do a longer version. Or did someone there see that?
1: It was actually through AIDC, so the Australian International Documentary Conference. So they have a really great program called Cut to the Chase, where you can pitch sort of a project in whatever phase you're in. I just put my project in just, just because I was like, well, you know, I'll have a go, but have some interesting conversations. And so the Compass team reached out to me. And they wanted to have a meeting so it's sort of like speed dating so you kind of have like i think i can't remember how long they are but it's like speed dating with projects and so i had a chat with jessica from abc and she uh, and that's sort of where the, the relationship started so they they it's an acquisition so i created the the half hour piece and then they, they're they're acquiring that
3: they're acquiring the rights just to show it in australia or is the whole film now acquired by them like could you show it say on canadian television
1: Yes, absolutely. So it's just Australia. I'd have to check the contract uh, again, but I I think it's for three years within Australia.
3: Yeah. Fantastic. I've got one more kind of question around the processing. And I'm not a film person at all, but working now to this creative space here in Auckland, I'm surrounded by filmmakers, and it's something I might get to do more of in the future. So I'm just fascinated by the finished piece. This, you know, it's only half an hour long, but you fit so much into it you've got several quite long shots and these are shots that kind of just focus in on normality of life. Um, There's a scene of Violet and Mark, two of your subjects, washing the dishes. And you've got another scene where Violet kind of has a bit of a, a breakdown moment and you've got just this long shot of her. The silence between sobs is quite present. And I'm curious, you said, You made this very much for like a TV audience in mind. Was it much of a battle to kind of leave those long moments in, either with an editor or with yourself? Did you feel pressure to kind of take out those longer, really impactful moments? Was was it hard, I guess, to reach this final edit?
1: I think no, not at all. For me, I always wanted to include that, and it was never gonna, there was never really an option to not. That shot of of Violet when she's um, sort of getting quite emotional in the original film, that's actually the end of the film. I mean the climate grief is something that is really hard to sit with and I think it's a lot of it's a reason why people sort of don't want to think about it. And so I, I felt important and quite, you know, fitting to have people sit there with her while she's feeling that. And so I, I never ever was gonna take that out. <laughs> for TV, so so the main thing that I sort of changed from the original film or the my, my approach that I changed for for this version for TV was just the beginning mainly. So sort of where we meet each of the characters, each of the participants, and they sort of sort of sum up maybe or, you know, give a little insight into the story that we're going to hear from them or an, an aspect of the story that sort of asks a question about what we're going to see. So that was kind of the main aspect that I thought about specifically for TV. So if I was making it not for TV, I probably would have made it a lot more subtle. So that was that was it. But yeah, the, the banality of the everyday life uh, stuff was actually a very intentional thing as well, because for me, I wanted, I mean, obviously, this is a, a privileged topic to talk about. It's, it's you know, people who are thinking about this have the privilege to think about this. And, mm-hmm. and it's in our everyday, I, I wanted to sort of contrast the everyday normal lives of people living in cities who are going through their day to day lives, but then also have this really, you know, existential thing hanging over their heads and how this this sort of grief is is playing into their everyday normal lives that I think other people can really relate to. So that was sort of why I included those moments of washing the dishes or getting the kids ready for school and things like that.
0: I think that contrast you showed is really important because a lot of people in this movement are seen as extremists or antinatalists or cuckoo, and it was really important to show how people that are perfectly ordinary people also are facing these worries and it's hitting the backs of their minds as well as they do everyday things.
3: Yeah, definitely. Why these people? How did they hit your radar and why are they the subjects of this film?
1: Initially, when I first started thinking about making this film, I sort of did some call-outs because it was was really quite hard to think about how to find people who were thinking about this because it's not like, you know, they all hang out together.
3: (laughs) Except as guests or friends of the Climactic Collective.
1: And so when I first started doing the call out, I was interested to see how many people sort of on Facebook got back to me about it because it had been something I'd been thinking about and avoiding thinking about, if I'm honest, Um, and had felt quite alone in in that wandering. And and it was, was sort of a lonely thought because I'd felt like I couldn't speak about it. And initially with my friends who were having children, you know, that felt really taboo. I didn't want them to think that I was judging them because it was absolutely not about that at all. When I first started the research for this project, I had a lot of people reach out to me and want to have coffee or conversations and and catch ups. Not many of them wanted to talk about it publicly. A lot of people were like, I've never spoken about this with anybody. I haven't even spoken to my partner about it. And they were like, what are other people talking about? What are they saying? And so it was initially quite challenging to find participants for the film because I only ever want to work with people who are feeling like they're in a space where they're can talk about this in a way that they're going to be okay with um, whatever happens with the film, and obviously talking about not having children can be quite controversial. And I spoke with everybody about you know not knowing where the film might go and and uh, keeping people anonymous if they wanted to be in in the sense of you know first names only. I had initially thought about actually only talking to people who were in the throes of grappling with whether to or whether not to, and they hadn't yet. But as I spoke to people. I sort of realized that there was a lot of richness in, in the different perspectives of people that were at different places of building a family. I spoke to Christine, who actually reached out to me from the Extinction Rebellion group that I had posted on, actually just to check in on my well-being, <laughs> because there was one of the posts that I did sort of had people fighting and it was quite hectic. And she reached out and she was like, just wanted to check in and make sure you're okay, you know, look after yourself as you're going through this topic. And then we ended up having a conversation and I was... I was like I think this might be a really interesting perspective and actually I think the film is a lot richer for for sort of me opening up that that I from the initial idea I had and and sort of including people who were at those different phases and you know spoke to Amruda and we had a really great conversation on the phone without having met <laughs> each other and she graciously agreed to be in the film without having met me which I really you know everyone's just been so connected from the shared goal of, of trying to, you know, move forward and why it's important to talk about these topics. So I didn't really choose people. it sort of the, the process chose everyone and it just it felt like everyone's stories just fit together nicely and gave a different perspective.
0: What were some of the reasons that people gave you or fears that they expressed to you about saying these things out in public on TV? And what
1: were some of the consequences that
0: they were worried about?
1: Some people just literally had not spoken to any other person in their lives. So some people were, I'm scared to bring this up with my partner because I'm scared that it'll be detrimental to our relationship. So that was one that sort of came up a bit. I had many phone calls with people who just, the grief was just so big that they, I just don't think that they could have gone there even that conversation like and I actually had too many of those conversations in a row over a two- day period where I sort of hung up one of the phone calls and just sat on my couch and burst into tears and just cried. Um, which I then I realized I was like this is not sustainable. I need to also like think about my mental health and and yeah holding space and, and things like that. So I sort of spaced them out and became more intentional about that. But I just think people hadn't processed it enough. That was generally the biggest reason, I think. Another one was uh, a lot of people spoke about their, their families, so particularly if they had felt that pressure from, from their families, they didn't want to speak about it publicly because they didn't want their their families to know and have to deal with whatever would come from that. It's always very complicated, so I don't think there was any one specific reason. It was sort of a tangle of, of all of these things. And I remember anything.
0: texting you afternoon before the film, Ed, saying I'm really nervous. For me, the reasons why I was worried about being viewed by members of my community as a sensationalist or a histrionic person that's just you know going out there and, and making these statements just to get attention or something like that, or an extremist of some sort. And I was worried that I'd be perceived as cold, perhaps. Mm. And I don't know, I was also worried about my potential attractiveness as a single woman to... <laughs> you know, potential mates. And it's the pressure that we feel is ridiculous. And, you know, one of the things that struck me quite a lot in the making of this film and my experience participating in it is there are two factors that are opposing each other, but surprisingly, both of them are about the same thing, survival. So the urge mm-hmm. to procreate is a instinctive sort of built-in mechanism in organisms for survival, But also to not procreate is our worry about survival in the future. The climate is like going to hell. We're going to have a bad, bad world in the future. Kids are not going to survive. We're not going to survive. And, you know, if we all want to, you know, for the collective good, if we all want to have a better life, maybe it's in in our interest not to procreate. So both of these things are about survival. But it's so funny how they're clashing with
1: each other. It's such a good point.
3: I'd see Jade... Jade's nodding along there vigorously. I've got a quick kind of like identifying question for like where where Jade is coming from in this. Like, Jade, like that original film you made, that 15 minute film, were you kind of a member of some people say the climate movement? And I prefer climate community because we're not all activists out in the streets, but are still concerned about climate. Like, were you a member? And that's why you were making a film about a thing you were part of, or was this like an interesting social movement? You could have made a film about this or about another thing.
1: So my initial interest in this topic came from a deeply personal place of thinking and worrying about this. And I I think I hadn't realized how long it had sort of been in the back of my head without me acknowledging it. Um, and I actually initially tried to make a film about a different topic. So I started looking into adoption in Australia, which as Amruda talks about in the film is very, very difficult and complicated in Australia. started looking into that and realized the complexities and, and sort of realized at that point that I wasn't the person to make that film and then was like, okay, fine, I'll make the film that this is really coming from, which is sort of this this topic of me grappling with this. But the, the real turning point came from the IPCC report that came out in 2018. Having read through that, which laid out the 12 years that we have left, and it was quite horrifying to, to read through and realise sort of all of the, yeah, just how serious it really was and how it was going to affect my life and my potential children's life. And so that I think pulled focus for me and probably led to me making this film. And then it was about reaching out to different places and, and speaking to people who were going through the same thing.
3: That makes complete sense. There's the pivot there from adoption as a topic. And I was curious if one of the ways you kind of pitch this or you think about it, and it's not actually mentioned in the film, no one no one talks about the birth strike movement. And is that like a way that you kind of describe the film? Is Is that like a movement that you kind of were looking at? in relation to this topic. It, it feels like a bit strange because like, I only know a little bit about the birth strike movement, but it is a thing. It is global. It is gaining prominence. And it feels like kind of like you're talking to people who are refusing to buy South African products in the 90s, but you don't mention the boycott apartheid movement. It feels like it's a part of a larger thing, kind of, but like the larger thing isn't talked about. I'm kind of curious about that.
1: So I actually found the birth strike movement through my research when I had already decided to make this film. So again, I started to sort of research it in 2019, which was sort of the early stages of that in the UK, specifically, that's where they started. They're being very political about it, and they're making a statement about it too. That's their tactic. And I actually reached out to them to sort of find out about the pushback that they've gotten and that sort of stuff. And there was another one in America, which is sort of more about community building, which is about... People who are making that choice to not have children and, and talking about it and building a community of people around that, or people who have children also thinking about this. It wasn't really for me about the birth strike as a political movement for this particular film. I wanted to tell the personal, really personal, like individual stories of, like Amruta said, everyday people who this is a huge issue for, who, you know, maybe aren't even really that active in, in activism communities for some of them. But, who, this is a huge, huge issue. That's something that they sort of think about on a daily or weekly basis.
3: And that's just about it for the discussion of birth strike in this particular chat. It comes up again briefly later on, but only a little bit. I highly recommend giving a search and reading more. But I know that for myself, at least birth strike is a pretty heavy topic, and the movement is quite, confronting so please enjoy a few seconds of nice palate cleansing music courtesy of tom day before we get back into why this topic was so important personally to jade
1: The reason that I wanted to make this film was because the more I spoke about this topic, the more I realized that it just depoliticized climate change in a way that I just hadn't seen before. People who, you know, maybe are from an older generation who don't believe climate change is going to be that bad or, you know, just haven't engaged with it in the same way that maybe I have or, or we have they'd make jokes about it and just be like, oh, you know, don't be, don't overreact and things like that, which (laughs) Ruda is nodding because I know we've spoken about that a lot. But what I just realized with this topic is, you know, the minute that you say, I'm actually really, I'm so concerned about what the future is going to look like. I actually don't think I'm going to have children and it's something that I really want. It sort of stops that. People just stop and they start to listen. And it's, it's in a way that I just hadn't seen happen before. And that to me was really interesting because it's such a human thing, you know, like having a family, having children, it's not me jumping on a soapbox saying, you need to eat less meat for the environment. You know, it's me saying that this is something that I personally am going to maybe sacrifice. That's what it feels like, you know, because I just don't know if I want to bring a child into the world to face that. And that's mm. it's just a different thing. And so yeah, for me the depoliticization oh gosh, the depoliticization of the of the topic was something that was really, really interesting to me to explore. And so I think that's also another reason why I sort of didn't want to connect it to the larger movement in any way really. I, I kind of didn't even speak about how many people are are thinking about this. I wanted it to be about the personal, the very personal.
0: From what you're saying to me is how invested people are in the fertility and childlessness or, you know, parenthood status of the people in their family. When you say that I'm not going to have children, that's not just your future or your dreams. You're actually impacting somebody else's future and dreams and desires and hope as well. That was really interesting to me. That's one way to, you know, rather than saying you should stop eating meat, this is like, hey, I'm going to not procreate. So you might not have grandchildren. <laughs> that suddenly is like a wake-up call for people. I have a question for both Mark and you, Jade. What is your response to people who are optimistic about the future? Like, I have a feeling we'll sort this out. We always do. I mean, what if everybody becomes, you know, vegetarian and vegan or humans are tough creatures. We survive. What would you say to that? And how do you deal with that?
3: Well, uh, I'm not sure for for you Jade the you know the perennial thing I hear in any circle there is a lot of people on the planet and I spent a couple years in China and kind of saw firsthand the the way that society because of the one child policy has this reverence for this scarcity of children and like the thought of actually like all of us for the moment for a generation or two kind of like if it was a wider spread thing of Agreeing to have no kids or less kids or a pledge, you know, just like we should all be saying, look, you know, we should we should end world hunger. We can. We should also say, like, there should be no more orphans. Like going back to the story of where this initially started for you, Jade, of like, you know, a story about adoption. It's like, well, isn't that kind of weird that you can get someone bent out of shape by saying you might not be a grandparent, but um they won't be equally miffed by the thought that there's there's grandkids out there with no one. And um, we can't help them. There's all, all these ramifications, and it's a huge, huge topic, of course, nested with privilege and so many other things. But I'm like, I can see a future for kids on any kind of world that could conceivably happen within a f- few centuries' time. I, I am one of these people that really believe in the adaptability and the tenaciousness of people. But, like, to be honest, I can see a much worse society for people, but, like, that's existed in human history. And... um there's always going to be children as long as we can procreate, there's always going to be kids, so I think both sides have it right <laughs> no no harm on anyone for for opting to to either decision here or to do like Christine said and you know have your kids and then think honestly, would I do this the same again now um I think a huge part of the human experience is regret. <laughs> it's,
1: it's so complicated. And I think it's so interesting, Mark, because you can see you grappling in the moment while you're there. And I think to me, that's also, that was so interesting, that grappling. And, and it was quite hard to make a film when people are sort of going back and forth <laughs> on a topic because it's sort of, you know, you don't want to make them seem like they are um, not holding true to what they believe in, but this topic just innately makes people go back and forth like this as they're trying on the different views, which they, you know, hold concurrently together. And to your point about optimism, you know, I'm, look, I think we need people who are on all spectrums of the, you know, pessimism to optimism in order to to make change. You'll act differently depending on how you think you're, um, what, 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 the likelihood of us making enough change to sort of have a livable planet. But I think for me, optimism without action is really dangerous. I don't think that that has a place, you know, just being like, oh, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. We've been fine before because I think never before has the human race faced such an existential threat. You know, there's definitely been threats before. There's always been reasons not to have children, but we're locked into a certain amount of change, like we've sort of all hinted at. If I was to have a child right now, their life would not be what mine has been. Climate is going to start to deteriorate and and it already has, you know, we're already seeing that now and people in other places around the world are seeing that a lot more than what we are in, in you know, Melbourne or Auckland or Perth. And um, I guess for me, optimism, it's, a, oh, it's an interesting one. <laughs> it is.
0: What's interesting is people do what they can within their personal thresholds. So optimism without action, that's a great point that you made, Jade. For those people that, for example, those people that feel like being a vegan, they're doing that. For those people that feel like giving up air travel is their way, or changing their super, or, you know, all of these things, whatever is within their personal threshold. And for those people that feel like they are prepared to make this change to their future and not have children. What my way of countering this kind of optimistic, blindly optimistic messaging would be...
3: Falsely optimistic. Yeah.
0: Exactly. All of us contribute in some way or the other. We can't just say, don't worry, somebody else will take care of it. And if mm-hmm. this is what my heart tells me is the way that I should do something about this, I think that's valid.
1: I think that's a really great point, Amruta. And something that I learned through making this film is that those people, even just within the you know the people that were in the film, but also people who I had so many conversations <laughs> over these last couple of years about this uh, as a, a result of the film, but you know, action, it really, and I think Violet even says it in the film, something that really helps climate grief and helps people move through that is action. Mm -hmm. In whatever way that that sort of fits for that person, taking action just really seems to shift something internally. And it just feels like you're at least contributing or, you know, there's something within our psyche that it is about action.
3: You said it really well there, Amruta, about everyone's operating within their own thresholds of action and and comfort but also yeah sacrifice and i'm curious jade as as a filmmaker it seems to me that the role of art in this space is to uh, expose to people their thresholds kind of like be a mirror for it and also to challenge them sometimes and occasionally you have those breakthrough moments where you watch a piece of art you consume something you're confronted with something and it changes it expands your thresholds The role of art in this space is to be like, look, you know, how do you feel about this? You know, for for some of the subjects themselves, actually being like, oh, I I don't know if if I've said it in this way to my partner before. Whereas someone watching this, they might not have heard anyone say this before. They might not have ever been confronted with this thought. And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, you mean this is a choice? Someone can choose survival in this context over survival in the context of my genes and and you know, lineage. Does that resonate with you at all?
1: Yeah, I think in this context, just can play a different role, like so many different co- roles, you know, whether it's solace or, or you know, uh, having people relate, feel heard and seen, showing them a way to to take action and things like that. And for this film, there was sort of, I had two kind of main audience types in mind. And and those were people who are thinking about this and, and wherever they're at, on that. So whether they've not voiced it to anyone before or whether they're talking about it actively in my research, uh, talking to lots of different people, the fact that people just weren't talking about it with their nearest and dearest was a reason enough for me to want to make this film because people were like, "What are other people saying? How are they? How are they navigating this?" And so that is definitely one of the reasons why I made this film was to show other people who are going through this and, and how they're navigating it and how they're grappling with it. And it's you know it's, it's okay that you're struggling with it. Where a lot of people are struggling with it, and you're doing okay. And then also a way through, you know, a way to sort of move forward. I mean, I don't think I really give answers and wrap it up in a neat little package, Um, but it's not the kind of films that I ever sort of want to make. But then the other audience type was people who have never thought about this and who it seems maybe uh, extreme or drastic to them because I think, you know, I think one piece of art is never going to change someone's perspective entirely. I think it's unrealistic to think that we're going to, be able to do that but i like to think of it as a seed so i read somewhere you need 15 seeds in order to sort of shift someone into a new way of thinking and so that's how i like to think about this film it's one of those seeds that maybe someone sees and they don't agree with what they see and maybe they think everyone is being really drastic and and you know exceptional but then maybe they'll see a, a article that one of their friends shares on facebook the next time and then they're like ah. Oh, Actually, And then they click on that, which they might not have before. And, you know, maybe they, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of just, it's one of those things that maybe helps shift people along into a new way of thinking. And I think that's a really important part of art and particularly storytelling and filmmaking mm-hmm. because people sit down and they listen. They're not trying to think about the next thing that they're going to say to combat what the person in front of them is talking about. It's why I love film. I love film because, you know, you you sit for a moment and you think about what this person is saying or or the story that this person is sharing and you sort of let it interact with your perspectives and your experiences and and your emotions. And that can be really useful and helpful, especially in today's world where everything is just seeming more and more polarized and Mm -hmm. conversations are, you know, just the other person thinking about how to combat the other person's
3: point. That's wonderful. The seeds analogy is wonderful. I've heard it. You know, with marketing and advertising, as you know, the x number of touch points you need with people, x number <laughs> of impressions before they make a choice, and. Used for good rather than consumerism. Uh, that's a great way of putting that. And and as someone who does watch documentary or watch film like this, and sometimes does get frustrated at the lack of an answer at the end and the lack of you know, here's <laughs> sorry the thesis wrapped right up in a bow. No, not at all. Like as you said that, I realized that. Oh, Mark, there there is a word for film that does show clear, simple answers to the end of. Complicated situations, and and that type of film is propaganda. So I'm really glad you're not a propagandist, and you do yeah. leave space for people to interpret and act on your films in the way they want. Oh,
1: thank you. That's nice. I'm glad it's not propaganda. <laughs> I hope I think there's maybe some people who might disagree.
3: <laughs> well, they're they're wrong.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Mark, you made such an important point, Jade as well, about first of all that people can't argue with a TV screen; they can shut it off, but if they choose to sit and watch, there's nobody for them to go but but and get in there. It's a really great use of the film medium to explore this. And then it's such a great point that you raise, Mark, about there being no clear answers. If there were, that was propaganda. I think this no clear answers is also reflected in our own minds and how. I think practically everyone except Violet left in the film left the door open in terms of the future of what, well, you know, some people already had children, but maybe let me just speak for myself. I was like, I'm not going to commit to anything because it's very possible to change your mind. So there being no clear answers, even in your own mind, once you've, you know, once you're pretty set, you know, down a path thinking in one way, you could still have another child or you could still change your mind in some way. That is the interesting thing about this. It's such a personal topic. It goes to the very core of our existence as organisms. There's really no easy way to know. So Jade, when in in your work, what were some of the attitudes that people expressed or what were some of the feelings that they expressed if they changed their minds? Was there guilt or was there justification or... Was there a mix, a murky mix of both?
1: I just don't think anyone had gotten to the point where they had 100% decided. And I think the people that had really thought about this in any depth also had a level of self-compassion around this topic that sort of made them realize, you know, the complexities of it and, and to be able to sit with that uncertainty in a way that maybe someone who hadn't maybe wouldn't be able to. And so I think I think it's just a murky mix of everything, you know. I think Cam sort of speaks to it really well in the film where he talks about that moment where, you know, Sarah was pregnant during the fires and, and there was sort of this mix of, oh, no, like what have we done? But also I'm really excited and this is what I want. And, you know, I, you, and, and I just don't think that there's ever, you know, it's so mixed together and, and I think that that sort of just sums up a lot of the feelings that people have had around that. I mean, even Violet. She says that that's why they've committed their lives at the moment for the next few years to sort of fight really hard for activism because she still has hope that she'll reach a place where she feels safe to to have a have a child and to bring that child into the world and and that's what's driving her. So yeah, there's literally there's no one that well besides the people who've had children. Obviously, they're not gonna <laughs> they're not changing their minds about that those children. But yeah, I think everyone. It's just so complex. I don't think anyone would ever have one feeling about it. I think there's always just multiple ones that interact and combine. And we don't have words in English that will succinctly sum them up, to be honest.
3: There might be some (laughs) in German, but they'll be 30 letters long.
1: Yeah, German or Japanese is way, way better than English. The Japanese ones will be like three
0: letters long and express (laughs) a sentiment that's four lines long or something like that. Did you notice any differences in the way that gender impacts Social pressures on people, or how people were thinking about this topic.
1: Absolutely, it was by far more women who reached out about this. In my experience, just within the climate, you know, movements and, and people thinking about climate, the climate crisis. There's just a lot more women thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing people from from all communities that are thinking about it. But yeah, I think also because there's sort of this time pressure as well for women to be thinking about it, so that. Definitely plays into it with the with the children thing, um, and then also there's this element of uh, you know the societal pressures around women having children. So that that plays into it, no matter what uh, your reasons are for not wanting children. And I definitely had people who reached out to me who climate change was just one of the reasons why they weren't, and they talked about that you know feeling like they weren't really a woman if they don't have a, a child. And and it was definitely different reasons and differences between the genders.
0: I'm suddenly hatching this plan in my mind. If everyone in the world who has a uterus and is fertile holds the uterus hostage and blackmails mm-hmm. government and corporations saying none of us will reproduce, <laughs> if you men...
3: <laughs> no, more that's consumers. That's the birth
1: strike movement. That's what they're,
0: that's what they're oh, trying is to do. Okay. Which is- well, this is yeah. so cool. Like, just imagine. It's like, do you
1: want children? Do you want grandchildren? Huh? Huh? Well, it's, it's, it's actually becoming more and more pertinent because I mean, I'm sure you guys have watched recently, we've seen that the rate of, um, you know, people having children in the States is the slowest it's ever been since I think the Great Depression, the last 10 years. And in Japan, obviously, we're seeing the fallout of people not having children, as many children and the economy, the, you know, the economic ramifications of that. So, you know, they actually asked me about that on Hack. And um, they were like, you know, do you ever think about the fact that, you know, the economy might uh, be impacted by your decision not to have children, which I Mm. thought was interesting. Please tell us her
3: answer to that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I can't remember exactly, but it was basically, um, well, if the government's really worried about that, then maybe they should take action to make people feel safe to have children and then Yep. that won't be a problem.
3: Address anyone. the, uh, the cause, the roots, yeah. not, not the effect there.
1: Yeah. Also, I mean, people just in on my story, you know, the, my film, the, the stories that we, we told, are uh, very, you know, no one's thinking, Oh, actually I, you know, I'm really worried about the future for this baby that I might bring into the world and what their life's going to look like. But if it's going to affect the economy, that's <laughs> fine. I'll just have the child, you know, like no one's thinking about that. <laughs>
0: What was the response of your family and friends to this movie?
1: Making this film actually strangely made this conversation really accessible. When I was first thinking about this topic, I think one of the reasons why I wasn't talking about it was because I really didn't want my friends who had children or you know wanted children to think that I was judging them in any way. It was just solely about sort of what I was thinking about, and I think this film was a really great way of having those conversations come about. Without me just being, you know, like, oh my god, I'm so worried about this. Like, and and for them to feel like, oh, I should be worried about this if I'm not thinking about this. You know, they, they would just sort of make, simplified that conversation because we were able to talk about this film that existed outside of everybody. And you know, I found that a lot of my friends were asking me questions about it, um, and it, and it just facilitated conversations that perhaps I wouldn't have been able to have if it was just something that I was thinking about with my family. It also sparked a lot of conversations, like so many conversations around the topic. And I think from where we started to where we're at now, I think people, my mum and my dad, well, my mum particularly, because she's engaged with it a little bit more, understands a little bit more. She still wants me to have kids. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like I think people, everyone is sort of further along this way of thinking than we were at the beginning and understands it on a level that maybe they wouldn't have before the conversations that I have been able to have about it have just been really cool actually. And I got an, I got a text from a friend of mine who said that she watched the film on Sunday with her parents. And she said that it facilitated this wonderful conversation with them that they you know spoke about it afterwards
3: that's wonderful congratulations
1: I love to hear that because I I just it's so great to know that like those conversations that I've been able to have because of the film hopefully other people are having those as well and it's going to help facilitate those kinds of conversations and connection and understanding that has been more difficult to come to without something to talk about that's outside of yourself
3: that's huge, that's amazing, <laughs> yeah, um, it's
1: been really nice to see that well it's been very like weird and and cool, but having mm-hmm. you know because normally i mean this is this is the film that's been seen by the most people obviously that from my career so far, so mm-hmm. my career if that sounds so wanky. Um, in my career, <laughs> yeah, like of all the films that I've made, this has been the one that's been seen by the most people, obviously because it's on ABC.
3: But Jade, you're gonna do massive things, so it's really exciting to get to talk to you now and meet you now, and I'm so glad you put my friend amruta in this film, and uh, you picked a great subject in her. Is... It's wonderful!
1: <laughs> I'm so happy to have you. Thank you so much, amruta for for all your generosity and and your bravery and and sharing your story with us. It's honestly, it's, I already know it's spoken to so many people. That. Mm-hmm. Yeah, reached out and told me that.
0: Jade, what's next in terms of this topic? Are you going to make a bigger film or more work
3: on
1: this area? Or,
3: or take a break from it if you need to.
1: <laughs> Something that I've also learned through making this film is that, you know, you've got to really look after your mental health as you're, as you're engaging with this topic. It does at times seem really, really important that you want to sort of sacrifice that and just keep working on it. Taking a break is, is really important and I'm going to do that now for a little while. Not very long, but just a little while. <laughs> um, but yeah I've got some I've got some projects in the back of my mind. It, it does seem sort of hard for me to imagine making films that aren't really within the climate change space. I'll we'll always have projects that are bubbling around this topic. I've got an idea that um, how the climate crisis is changing the way that young people particularly are thinking about their future. I think that's a really powerful topic and, and what well, group of topics to think about. And so there's, I have an, I have a, a concept that I'm sort of fleshing out at the moment that will sort of look at that, but I'm really interested in collaborating very deeply with young people in that space, which will sort of combine the, the workshops and the, the teaching that I do. So for the last year, I've been working a lot with people in rural Victoria, mainly teaching them how to make films. And so, yeah, there's sort of something in the works that'll be combining that with a larger sort of film concept around how the climate crisis is changing the way that people are planning their futures
3: when you come across budding young podcasters out in the regions of victoria and elsewhere um, please do send them the way of the climactic network if they want to uh, start shows and get them heard
1: oh i will definitely do that thank you (laughs) that's awesome
3: very very conjoined arts and disciplines there
1: yeah let's all we just share the love
3: that's right
0: move to New Zealand with the children yeah the, did the family film the footage of them on the beach and, and things like that yeah that, that added so much lovely flavor and it was really good that they could capture good quality footage
1: yeah totally I mean that's the great thing at the moment I mean I, I tried for a little while because they're in Dunedin and I tried to find a filmmaker who was sort of somewhere nearby but because it's so far away from any of the hubs it just was gonna it just seemed ridiculous to 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 do that so I got them to do that and they're so lovely and so you know just wonderful people and phones are just really good right now so yeah what they captured was just wonderful
3: I've got a final question here and I I know that uh and this is my first interview actually in quite a few months because I've you know been moving to New Zealand back home do, doing a Christine and fleeing Australia and going back to New Zealand
1: doing a Christine I love doing that yeah <laughs>
3: And Christine, you know, you're listening. Uh, we'll have you on again soon. Uh, it was remarkable seeing her, seeing Mark, seeing Violet, seeing Amruta, and Cam and Sarah, who are people I don't know, but, you know, are, are friends I just haven't met yet, I'm sure. <laughs> I know this about myself when I'm doing interviews, that I ask questions in paragraph form, or I say a paragraph and just awkwardly chuck a question mark at the end. So as a final question here, and feel free to answer this however you want, but just to take us out. I've got a very short, sharp question it's just six words and that is jade after making this film and going on this journey what does parenthood mean to you wow that's a big question
1: that's a very concise question but i don't think i have a concise answer to it doesn't have to be
3: doesn't have to be short
1: i think i'm figuring that out you know i'm still i'm grappling with what that means and and what it's going to mean for me and perhaps if we have another conversation in mm-hmm. a few years, I'll have a better answer for you um, yeah. on that. But I think it it's not only what I maybe had imagined it was growing up. And I think that's something that I've realised. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to need to be different to what maybe we all thought it was growing up if we're all going to get through <laughs> what we're going to face yeah. um, moving forward. So I think that's yeah. that
3: speaks to to such a, a bigger conversation. I look forward to having down the track, and I think you're totally right. I think Amruta is no less apparent to her cats, and no less apparent to mine. And you know, our our friend groups now become families, and sometimes we parent our friends, and sometimes our Absolutely. friends parent and us.
1: ourselves. And uh,
3: <laughs> and our
1: parents, think, we parent our parents.
3: Obviously, yeah. we parent our parents. Definitely. But I have
0: this question for you too, Ma. <laughs> I want to hear your perspective. What does parenting mean to you?
3: Yeah, uh parenthood to me means uh being a mentor, being a support, being a sounding board, being a kind of um I think the nuclear family parenthood we grew up with is definitely needs to evolve, if not, you know, completely die. We need to be reformed. So I think parenthood now kind of means being a good uh a good member of society, good citizen, although that has other um meanings to it as well. I think it just means being a, a good person in society.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think it, there's a. I think there's also a huge uh, opportunity here to move back to sort of how families and communities and and raising children sort of existed before we moved to this nuclear family idea, where you have to, you know, a, a couple has to do be and be everything and do everything. Yep. um for their family and if they can't it's you know they're unsuccessful at being a family i think there's a huge opportunity to move towards more community based families and and changing what that means for mm. for good um, in a really positive way
0: i've been thinking about this i know that we're at the end of our interview so this is another conversation but i would love to have this conversation with the two of you what does family mean and how sustainable is the modern nuclear family and the work pressures on parents usually couples or single mm. parents as opposed to it takes a village to raise a child. So coming Mm -hmm. back to your point, it takes a village to raise a child. And so parenthood for me is not really Mm -hmm. about biology anymore. It's about being there to protect, support, guide, and essentially help to raise the children of the community that you're in. I find it incredibly Mm short-sighted to think that you can only be a parent to children who are related to you by blood. Because they're not the yep. only children that matter, and they're not the only children that are going to make a difference to your life personally. Other people's mm-hmm. children, whether you like to believe it or not, are going to make a difference in your life. <laughs> you know, they might be your boss when they grow up. So, but that's just that, you know, that they're society. So, parenthood means really being a good member of society and taking care of children in society.
1: Absolutely. And there's a role that you can play in a child's life when you're not their parent, that their parents, probably can't, you know, because that's just the nature of that relationship and and there's such a space for an incredibly positive, you know, role models outside of that and that's definitely something that I hope I'm doing and, and plan to do in the future as well for all of the bubs in my life.
3: Beautiful. Well, through your film Inconceivable, I think you've definitely expanded the conversation and people are having conversations in their families, with their partners, with their parents, with their society about being a parent, even if you decide for very good reasons to not have children in the face of the climate crisis. So it's a remarkable film. I hope everyone who listens to this watch it. Thank you, Amruta, for being my guest co-host today on this very special episode of Climactic. Can't wait to have you back again soon.
1: Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you, Jade. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Amruta. Thanks so much for having me. It's It's been a pleasure.
3: that again was filmmaker jade harding discussing her film inconceivable with myself and amruta founder of heck media host of heck and concerned find a link to her amazing show which talks about all the things us millennials are scared of as the first link in the show notes and catch inconceivable on abc's iView until the 8th of june 2021 If you've listened to the end of this episode, I've got no doubt you've got lots of feelings, opinions, maybe questions about this episode and this topic. You can send us an email, and I love to get them from listeners, to hello at climactic.fm. If you have anything to share about this topic, I would love to post it up on our social media channels. So please either just tag us where we're at climactic show, or send me an email, I'll be happy to post it on your behalf. Giving full credit if you'd like that, or you're welcome to remain anonymous as well. Just let me know. It's a topic I'd definitely like to talk about more on Climactic, and as it's the role of Climactic not only to just produce audio ourselves or myself, but to spotlight the best audio from the climate community. If you've got any other shows you're aware of that have done a great job of talking about birth strike or the personal decision of whether or not to have kids during the Anthropocene, the Humilocene, in the climate crisis please do let me know there's so much contained within this episode and if you have a response to it that you'd like to either write or record into your phone and voice memos and send to me I would love to publish those I would love for Climactic to become a lot more interactive so if you have anything you'd like to feed back from this episode I would love to put it out please just let me know and this can become more of a two-way interaction you responding to episodes us putting those out Encouraging more responses in a virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for joining us today. And if you have the opportunity, please share this episode or any of the episodes you find most relevant with a friend or a family member. The goal here at Climactic is to provide those bridges, those conversation starters, ways to help move anyone in your life from interested or even skeptical towards being able to be engaged in conversation about this, the climate crisis, and these climactic times we live in. Thank you all so much for being part of this community, and if you have any ideas on how we can expand it and push it forward, I'm all ears. Thanks, and until next week, stay safe and take care of each other in these climactic times.